Good to see all of you this morning. Wonderful to be in the house of God, in the presence of God, amongst the people of God. And uh, what a joy <coughs> it is. Now, as we get into the Word this, this morning, actually let's turn to Psalm 84 if we can, Psalm 84. And I want to share a message that the Lord put on my heart because I've been reading the book of Psalms to conclude the year and um, this particular psalm, well, you know, a lot of them, they all speak. But this one kind of just was, was prominent in my mind and, uh, and so I prepared a message because it, we're, we're at the end of another year and as I was pondering that and considering a few things that conclude the year and that which relates to the year that's forthcoming and so I, uh, I have a message already that the Lord's put in my, my heart for the new year but there's some thoughts that I want to share with you as we conclude the year. And so uh, no doubt as the year ends and as we are uh, uh, another year closer, amen, to our destination. But in the process of that, we understand that um, no doubt we experience uh, along this journey uh, degrees of trial, tribulation, um, sufferings in their various forms and kind, sometimes even severe sorrow for various reasons. And so our journey is such that uh, these things exist and I have no doubt that uh, as we reflect upon the year and upon our pilgrimage uh, as we can reflect upon various moments and times in the course of the year and uh, obviously our journey in life. But you see, despite these realities and despite these things, we look to that not which is seen but that which is unseen. Amen? We walk by faith and not by sight. And in light of that, that is what enables us to, to walk in victory, in God's fullness of grace. And so even though the outward man is perishing and the outward man is getting older, the inward man, amen, is being renewed day by day. And so how exciting that is. And I guess for those that are a bit older, it means a bit more, amen? starting to mean a bit more to me as well. <laughs> but you see, it's this thought that I want to capture uh, in this particular psalm as we read it and as we go through it because this is uh, what's being expressed in this particular psalm and uh, there's only a couple of verses that I do want to focus on in particular but we'll read the whole psalm nevertheless. But I want to preach a message that I've entitled this morning, Set on Pilgrimage. Hallelujah. Set on Pilgrimage. And just that thought alone has, uh, and speaks and represents so much and we want to see what it says in the scripture in relation to it. But uh, let's, like I said, we're going to focus only on a few verses from 5 to 7, but we'll read for context, the whole psalm itself. So let's read from verse 1 in Psalm 84. How lovely is your tabernacle, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs 
walks, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young. Even your altars, O Lord God of hosts, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house. They will still be praising you. Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a spring. The rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob, Selah. O God, behold our shield. Look upon the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. A Lord of hosts, blessed is the man who trusts in you. What a wonderful psalm, amen? Set on pilgrimage. But I want to consider with you, firstly, the issue of the heart. Because as we consider these things, the issue of the heart is paramount, it is fundamental, it is the first thing in relation to what we're going to look at in this particular psalm. And so if it's going to mean anything to us, if we're going to identify, if we're going to capture the essence and the spirit of what is in here, then our heart has to be in the same place that the heart of the psalmist was in. Amen? Only then can we really grasp and fully identify with what is being said here and how precious these words are. You see, the, 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 the psalmist is expressing how wonderful and how blessed it is to dwell in the house of the Lord and how glorious it is. And we find that he's expressing his heart's desire for God, he, he, he's, his, his hunger for God and his love for the Lord. And really this is where it starts. And he says, How lovely is your tabernacle, O Lord of hosts! And listen to verse 2 and just capture the words that are being uh, 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 used to express this. My soul longs, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. And you, get a, you capture the emotion, you capture the desire, you capture the passion that is within the psalmist as he, he considers these things, his love for the Lord is such that his emotions are, are harnessed and driven and are focused on God himself. And he, the heart has to be in the right place. The heart has to be enamoured and full of God, full of desire for God, full of the love, love for God. And I tell you, when, when you find yourself at that place, uh, then like too, when we read these, songs where, uh, these psalms where it says, my soul longs, just even faints, my heart cries out for the living God. We can identify it with because our desire is such and our passion is such and let it be so strong within us this morning. You see, if you don't have a heart like the psalmist, then this message and this psalm won't carry the same impact and influence in your own life 
Because if your heart is divided or if your heart is shifted or away from the Lord and not fully set on God, then you won't grasp the full immensity and truth that's contained within this particular psalm itself. See, my soul longs, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. See, does that mean anything to us? Because it should mean everything. Can you say amen? Now let's shift to verse 5 and I want to look particularly from verse 5 to 7 as we walk through these particular verses. Blessed is the man whose strength is in you. You see, the first, this is the first reference to strength within the text. And truly, we, in our pilgrimage, in our journey as Christians, we soon learn the lesson of where our strength lies. Amen? Uh, we all kind of uh, uh, start with uh, the enthusiasm as we should, but we realise uh, very quickly that our strength ultimately is in the Lord. And uh, because of the, the nature of life, because of the various circumstances of life, uh, we find ourselves in a place sometimes of weakness. But as uh, Paul learnt that lesson, as God said to him, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. And so here we have this expression, blessed is the man whose strength is in you. And when we learn that lesson and we draw upon that grace and we, and we appropriate that strength in our lives and we sense that strength, can you say amen? And the Lord is our strength despite whatever it is that's going on around us or whatever it is that's going on within us. We learn that our strength is in him. Psalm 73, Psalm 73 verse 25 captures this. Actually, it captures the essence of what we're talking about as a whole. It says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Amen. You see, our strength. God is the strength of my heart. My flesh uh, 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 will fail. Everything else will fail. But my heart will even maybe sometimes fail and fall short. But nevertheless, the Lord is faithful. And our desire is for Him. Our passion and our love is for Him. You see, that's why blessed is the man whose strength is in you. That's the first aspect that's being expressed. Blessed in the man whose strength is in you. Because when we make the Lord our strength, amen, this is the first uh, aspect, if you want to call it, by which we experience his fullness within our lives. But you see, it goes a little further in, in verse 5. It says, Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. Whose heart is set on pilgrimage. You see, this is so important. The psalmist obviously has in mind here uh, the, the house of God and uh, in its initial first interpretation in which uh, the, being the temple, the tabernacle, whatever you want to call it, but where the presence of God is and, and, uh, and whose heart is set on pilgrimage, how he loves to be in the tabernacle, in the house of God, where God's presence is. And so he loves to take that path and take that journey to be in the house of God. And amen, that's how it should be for us in the first instance, hallelujah. Coming to church, being in, among, in the presence of God amongst the people of God. 
Our heart is uh, set on pilgrimage. Our heart takes that path, amen. We love to be in the presence of God and we can't wait to be in the house of God, worshipping God and partaking of his goodness. But you see, there's the aspect here that relates to the pilgrimage of life itself because the Christian journey for, for, for most of us is, is, a, is, a, is a journey. It's a long pilgrimage. It's a long path. It's a marathon in a sense. And over the longevity of years, our heart needs to remain set and, and on him, amen, and on the will of God and the purpose of God and the plan of God because it's so easy to deviate. It's so easy to be distracted. It's so easy to drift. And yet we are, we are called to set ourselves on pilgrimage and the blessing of God is upon those whose heart is set. It is, that word set speaks of being single-minded. It speaks of being determined and set in your, in your heart and in your mind the course that you're going to take. And, in that, and that is, uh, it's the paths that lead to life. It's the narrow path, it's the path that pleases God. It's walking worthy before the Lord. It's a heart that's set on pilgrimage. Because really that's the reality when we consider the world that we're living in. Amen? You know, we read the Bible and we talk and we, we read about the various accounts of people's lives and we see the example after example for us to, to follow. And we find in Hebrews 11 these heroes of faith that are outlined for us and, uh, and they are being held up uh, as the heroes of faith because uh, they had their heart set. Amen? Their heart was so set on pilgrimage that the Bible states it clearly. And, uh, it, and, uh, and so therefore God was not ashamed to be called their God. Oh, God was pleased to see that they're, they're, they're so, they were determined. Their heart was set. They weren't deviated. They weren't distracted. They weren't drifted. They were set in their heart on pilgrimage. And in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13, it says these words, These all died in faith. They hadn't yet even received the promises of God. It says, These all died in faith, not having received the promises of God, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return but now they desire a better, that is a heavenly country. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. God is not ashamed to be called their God because their heart is set on pilgrimage. They embraced, they confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims. You know that word pilgrim, it means an alien and that's what we are, amen. We are aliens to this world. They look at us and they think that there is a, something different, there's something strange. Well, there is. We're Christians, we're pilgrims and we're strangers to this land. We don't identify with the world, amen. And so the word pilgrim means an alien alongside. So we're with them because we're in the world, but we're not of the world. 
And so when we're kind of walking with us, they think, gosh, there's something weird about those people. You bet there is, because we're in this world, but we're not of it, amen? We're citizens of another. We're looking for a, 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 a homeland, hallelujah. We're looking for our final destination. And we can't wait to get there, praise the Lord. Well, maybe some of us have set up camp, you know, up in the, uh, in the things of this world. But we're strangers, we're pilgrims, we're foreigners. And our heart needs to be set this morning, fixed and resolved on this particular issue because we live for that which is to come. Can you say amen? You see, and this brings me to the thought in light of that because we're talking about our heart being set on pilgrimage. And uh, the, the issue is, is that if we're not careful, our heart can be, can be deviated. Our heart, you know, the Bible says that Demas had forsaken, Paul says, Demas has forsaken me having loved this present world. Having loved this present world because if you're not careful, rather than the, uh, the uh, as A.W. Tozer would say, rather than the world being a battleground, it becomes a playground. And so we're set on pilgrimage. We're not identifying with the world in, its, in all of that it identifies with. We're something markedly different and distinctive about us. Amen. Or so there should be. When people see us, they should see that there's something different. But we don't identify. That There is a distinction. We're not identifying with the world. We can't identify with the world. We cannot be unequally yoked. Come out from among them, says the Lord, and be separate. That's the command of Scripture. And so we have this particular issue that if we're not careful, uh, if our heart's not in the right place, if our heart is not longing for and loving God as it's stated in verse 2, then you can be sure your heart will be seduced by the world. Amen? Because this is the reality and all of us have to deal with this. You know, isn't it interesting that um, uh, there's the, you're probably familiar here with the, the Pilgrim's Progress. And you know the story where he's on Christian and faithful on their way on that road to the celestial city. That's where we're heading, amen? Our eyes are on the celestial city. But you see, they have to go through, the path takes them through. They don't go off the path, they have to go through the path and the path takes them to a place called vanity. And at vanity, there's a fair going on. And that fair goes on all the time and, uh, and so all of a sudden they, as they pull aside and as they consider what's going on here, uh, what is on offer is what they call, what we term as vanity fair. And vanity fair represents the world in which we're living in. Can you say amen? It offers anything you want. Whatever tickles your fancy, whatever pleasure that you may want or desire, Vanity Fair has it. It has everything. And, uh, and actually, as you take the time to read Pilgrim's Process and interpret some of these things, it covers all the bases too. And it applies to all of us in different ways. But you see, Christian and faithful have to pass through. And what's interesting at Vanity Fair, as they're on the King's Highway, in Vanity Fair there's things that are lawful not helpful. There are things that are unlawful. There are things that are doubtful. But everything the Vanity Fair has offer on offer is an indulgence of the flesh. And that's where the danger lies for all of us. Amen. 
That's the battle that we all have to face internally as we are set on pilgrimage because we're all going to pass through vanity. And you've got to be careful. Don't get caught up at Vanity Fair because you'll get burnt. This is not what... All of a sudden your heart and your affections will be shifted and all of a sudden... You know who was, uh, who was in charge of Vanity Fair? Anyone know? It was Beelzebub. Beelzebub. The devil. You can't go and be in Vanity Fair and then go and be in church in the house of God, can you? My heart longs, my flesh and my, my heart cry out for the living God on Sunday. <laughs> what about the rest of the week? I'm just visiting a few stalls down at Vanity Fair. You can't mix the two. You can only love one and hate the other. And this is exactly what the psalmist is talking about because his passion, his desire is for God. You see, so many get lost at Vanity Fair. And we, 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 we lose sight of the fact at times that we are pilgrims. We're pilgrims and sojourners, we're strangers and yet sometimes you find Christians and the world and you can't tell the difference. It ought not to be so. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, it says, Beloved, beloved, now listen to Peter's words here, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, there's the word again, as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Notice Peter uses the word beloved. People, these are, he has a heart of love, the love of God for the people of God. And he says, beloved, I beg you, I beg. You see, one of the things we all learn as a pastor, as a parent, is we, you can't force anyone against their will. And I know we try. I try hard. <laughs> I try real hard. Uh, I'm not the most easiest person to be living with or to be around and, uh, and uh, get to know me long enough and, and I'll ruffle your feathers too. But the point being is, is Peter says, I beg you, I beg you, as strangers and pilgrims because that's who you are. If you're a Christian, you're a child of God, you are a pilgrim, you're an alien to this world, you're a stranger to the world, you are a foreigner and you're in it but you're not of it and abstain from fleshly lusts that war against the soul because you know what? We all know that war. Amen? When we beg, when begging as one who's indifferent or who doesn't understand because we all have the same nature and we all understand the lust of the flesh. We all understand the nature of temptation. We all understand the battle that rages in, in the soul in which the flesh is contrary to the spirit and the spirit is contrary to the flesh and so as Paul says we don't do the things that we should do. But you see that who shall deliver me from this body of death? You don't live there, hallelujah. You see, in Christ there is one who will deliver you 
from that wretched man, that wretched state. If you will set your heart on pilgrimage, if you will set your affections on that which is above, if you will look unto God, amen, and his provision, you will, amen, be able to live in victory and you'll be able to live in abstinence from the fleshly lusts that war against the soul. You see, that's why the scripture says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is why I've made an emphasis of the heart. That's why I said at the beginning in verse 2, my soul longs, yes, even faints. My heart and my flesh cry out. And it's that disposition of spirit because where your treasure is, there your heart will be. And that's the reality. If your treasure is God, then your heart will be set on pilgrimage. Can you say amen? So let's move into verse 6. Because I said at the beginning that in this pilgrimage, in this journey, there's, it's not without its trials and tribulations. And so it says, Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage as they passed through the valley of Baca. They make it a spring. The rain also covers it with pools. You see, the valley of Baca. This word Baca is literally weeping, the valley of weeping. You know, the truth is that we will all pass through the valley of Baca. In this journey and in this pilgrimage, as I said to you before, in this world we, will, we are subjected to various aspects of trial, tribulation and suffering and things happen and we will find ourselves at the place or in the valley of Baca, in the valley of weeping. This is a, uh, there's, there, the cause of this could be myriad, it could be so many, it could be so various, uh, but nevertheless uh, it is there, a valley is a valley. And in that place, that low point in life, it's, uh, uh, these things come our way and we find ourselves in these places. The Valley of Weeping. We heard it this morning. Ella shared testimony at the time where she just recently just wept, wept because of situation and circumstances. So we all, we're all going to have them. And uh, I'm not here to be pessimistic or fatalistic, but there'll be more to come. But you see, it's what happens at Baca. It's what happens in the valley that's so special. Amen. When you read the scripture, the scripture says they make it a spring. You see, it's not a place in which we wallow in sorrow. It's not a, I mean, not that we don't have sorrow, but we don't wallow in sorrow. It's not a place in which we are living in constant defeat. It's not a place where we're feeling sorry for ourselves. It's not a place where we're drowning under the weight of the circumstances. No, no, no. Are you weeping? Maybe. Yes, that's okay. It's normal. We go through things. But you see, the scripture says they make it a spring. You see, it's what happens in this place that makes it so wonderful. First of all, the first thing to note is that we pass through the valley. We don't live in the valley. Okay? We pass through. And that's the nature of life, isn't it? There's the mountains and then there's the valleys. 
There's the seasons of the year and the summer, the spring and the autumn and the winter. Everyone loves the spring when the sun begins to shine. <coughs> and these things typify the nature of life. It's, there's a season for everything, but you see, we pass through the valley of weeping and it is made a spring, is what the scripture says. They make it a spring. And the reason why we can do that is a number of aspects. But, you know, Jesus did say that the water I give you will be a fountain flowing up from within, a spring, a spring, a constant source of refreshment, a constant source of life. And that's why Revelations, actually in John 7, Jesus talks about out of his belly will flow out of his belly will flow. You see, this is the nature. Of, it becomes a spring because we have in us, amen, one greater is he who is in us than he that is in the world, church. And so it doesn't matter if we're in the valley of weeping, the Lord uh, enables us to make it a spring and in Revelations it talks about the river of life and it flows and let him who's thirsty freely come and drink. And so it doesn't matter what's going on around us, God has given us everything we need to sustain us and to satisfy us in any situation or circumstance. Praise the Lord. The comfort of God, the grace of God, the love of God, all of these things. Now it says here, they make it a spring and the rain covers it with pools. You see, the literal rendering of this is interesting because... The picture here, and the word in pools here means blessings. And so, in other words, God is the one that sends the rain. Amen? Right? You know, it, it, there might be a time of desert. There might be a time where we're, the heat and, and uh, other circumstances and such, but you know, God always sends the rain. Hallelujah. And when that rain comes, it uh, brings with it and brings a flood. And the Bible says that the rain also covers it with pools. Or in other words, God brings a blessing out of these places in our lives. And I, I tell you, it's so true. I look at some of the best blessings of my life and they've come when I've been in the valley. True. I've been in that place of Baca, in that place of weeping. And there the Lord has so faithfully met with me. Alice said it today. She's like Jesus was right. The sense of God was right in that place with her so strong and again this typifies this aspect the rain also covers it with pools and so here we have this, 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 the, the blessings of God that are poured out in this place and how wonderful and how refreshing it is to us and see this is what makes the Christian life so special this is what makes the pilgrimage so special because God is faithful church God is good and he will meet with us and he does meet with us again and again and again and the blessing of God is abundant and that pool, those blessings come out of those places. But now there's something else that I want you just to consider as we look at considering this issue of weeping. If we can, it's just a little bit of a shift here but I want you to turn to Judges chapter 2 because there's something else here that ties in with this although it's a little bit different, but it'll, you'll see how it'll tie together. 
In the book of Judges, chapter 2, this is where Israel is being uh, brought, uh, led into the promised land in, in, under Joshua and now we have the next generation that uh, that's, uh, uh, has, has gone into the land. And in verse 1 in Judges chapter 2, it says some very interesting words here that I want to just go with you from 1 to 5. But it says, Then the angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochum, or however you say it. The word there in the Hebrew for Bochum is weeping. Okay? So God brought them to a place, this place of weeping. And it says, and God says, I led you up from Egypt and brought you to the land which I swore to your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall tear down their altars. You shall... But, but listen, but you have not obeyed my voice. Why have you done this? You see, we're getting a picture here again of, of the things of the world, this distinction where God's saying to his people, I've brought you out of Egypt, but he's brought them to Bochum. And, uh, and, and at this place, he's, he's confronting them and he's approaching them on the issue of their disobedience. And he says, you have... Uh, you've, I've told you not to make a covenant with the inhabitants of this land and I've told you that you were to tear down their altars not go there and worship on their altar and he says but you have not obeyed my voice why have you done this? therefore I said I will not drive them out before you but they shall be thorns in your side and their gods shall be a snare to you So it was when the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the children of Israel that the people lifted up their voices and they wept. You see, this type of weeping was very distinct from the one that we've read in the text. You see, this type of weeping is, uh, is, is different because God brings us to this place when we have not fully obeyed the Lord or when we are disobeying God and, we're not, and our ways are not pleasing to God, then you will find God will bring us to Bochum. And he will humble us under his mighty hand and he will come to us and he will say, why have you not obeyed my voice? And it's in that place of weeping and it's in that place of humbling ourselves before the Lord. Like James says uh, to the church and in chapter four, uh, chapter 4 he says, let your laughter be turned to mourning. Lament and mourn and weep over the condition of your heart because he says, what's the context? Don't you know that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? Again, it's the world. In here, the typology and type is the world. Make no covenant. Don't worship at their altars. Cut them down, tear them down and you are, dis- you are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. You are my people. Be holy, says the Lord. And so, sometimes this place of weeping is a result of our having drifted away and disobeyed God and then we reap various things in our life and we find ourselves at a place because God brings us to that place. Have you been there? Under these circumstances? I have. So why did I do that? I shouldn't have done that. And our heart is broken before the Lord. And the Bible says that when they heard this, the people lifted up their voices and wept. Look at verse 5. Then they called the name of that place, Bochum, and they sacrificed there to the Lord. 
you know what's, what, what's wonderful about this place of weeping? Is they sacrificed to the Lord. They got right with God. They got right with God. You can have weeping in one instance and then you can have joy in the next. Hallelujah. And listen to what it says in verse 6. And when Joshua had dismissed the people, the children of Israel went back to his own inheritance to possess the land. You see, we've made an emphasis over the course of the year of possessing the land, the fullness of Christ. And I tell you, when you, as this psalmist says, when your soul longs for faints for the courts of the Lord, when you want no one other than God himself, you are my portion. There is none other that I desire than you. When God is everything in your life and when you come to a place where, he, where, 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 where that, you have made that proclamation and your life reflects that, then you have come to a place where you're set on pilgrimage. You've become single-minded. You have fully yielded to the Lordship of Christ. And you've said, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. And sometimes you're going to have to pass through Gethsemane. You're going to have to pass through a valley of weeping. You're going to have to go through that in order to be aligned to the will of God. Are you following me, church? You see, we have to get out of Vanity Fair and we have to get on the path that leads to the celestial city. And I want to close and look at verse 7 with you. Listen to what it says. It says of, of, of Psalm 84 back there now, of our text. It says, They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. Hallelujah. There's the second aspect, strength again. But notice what it says. Blessed, it says, that Blessed is the man whose strength is in you. And then for the one... Whose, whose heart is set on pilgrimage and uh, uh, whose, uh, whose, whose, whose heart is only for the Lord, the Bible says they go from strength to strength. I love that, amen? You see, it doesn't matter. See, the world, it, it's, it's going on a downward scale. Not just physically, we're all on that scale. But I'm talking in, 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 of the soul, of the spirit. And then uh, now all of a sudden, you know, they just, uh, when, when they're ready, they just want to end their own lives. That's what's going to happen. Euthanasia is all coming in. So they're heading down that way. You know what? We're doing the reverse, amen. Inwardly, the outward man is perishing, but the inward man is being renewed day by day. And so therefore we are escalating. We are ascending. Hallelujah. And uh, uh, though the outward man is getting weaker and people think, oh my gosh, look at them. Well, praise the Lord because you know what? To be absent from this body is to be present with God and that is the fulfilment, amen, of the desire of the heart. This is what the psalmist is talking about. There's no greater joy. Oh, death, where is your sting? Now, I'm not saying that there's no sorrow associated in the physical sense with these things, but I'm saying there is something far greater and a far greater reality. And that is what we tap into. That is what we identify with. We go from strength to strength. That's the Christian life, hallelujah. The Christian life gets sweeter and sweeter. Sweeter and sweeter, not bitter and bitter. I know that the, you know, that's why the Bible says don't let a root of bitterness spring up because it'll defile you. It'll defile your spirit. It'll defile your soul. But you see, if you can just feed that honey from the rock, hallelujah, and the sweetness of Christ 
and the sweetness of God, we, then again, it gets, much, it gets so much more richer. It gets so much more fulfilling, so much more satisfying in the Lord. Pastor Werner, amen. amen. Oh, I will trust him. It says here, each one appears before God in Zion. You see, again, in the psalmist's mind, he's thinking uh, in the primary sense of the house of God, the presence of God. But you see, there's a number of facets and things that we can draw from this particular statement that I want to just identify with you. But the first and the obvious one is appears before God in Zion. You see, we, we're, we're, we're on the road on that path to the celestial city. Can you say amen? We're marching to Zion. We sing that song, Marching to Zion. And, and we're, we're, we are. We are moving forward. We are marching forward. Every day, every year, we're a step closer, church. And so there's that aspect in terms of our destination. We will appear before God in Zion because our, our heart is set on pilgrimage. We're seeking not that which is this, of this world, but we're seeking that which is to come. We're foreigners. We're strangers. We're citizens of heaven. Hallelujah. And so we're looking for a, a time in which we will appear before God in the new Jerusalem, in the city of God. But you see, there's another thought that I want to turn your attention to here. And it's, uh, it's found within the margin of my Bible and uh, through various others if you've studied the scripture. But it's got there, the God of gods shall be seen. So think of it in this way. Each one appears before God. You want me to... Are we on? So each one appears before God in Zion. In other words, the God of gods shall be seen. And so, you know, the Bible in an explicit sense talks about a day in which we will see him as he is. And what a day that will be. We'll sing that song. We sing it. What a day it shall be when my Jesus I shall see. And so, aspect of seeing God as he really is in the presence of God with being unhindered as we are now in, the, in that fullness sense but you know what? There's another application that we can draw from this and that is, is that we see God now. You see, because in the valley of, of Baca, in the valley of weeping, amen, it's uh, where, where we go from strength to strength, there is something where God meets with us, where we meet with God, where we have a sense of the closeness of God, where we have a sense of the presence of God. And though we can't touch him and see him in the physical sense, spiritually speaking, we know his presence. We can see him, amen. We walk by faith, not by sight, and faith always sees. And I'm not even talking about how you feel. Sometimes, because uh, feelings can be deceptive, we walk by faith. We walk by what we know. But in saying that, that's, that doesn't mean that there are times in which we sense and have, and have an emotional response to God's presence or, or we can read his word and God will quicken and speak to us through his word and we, we can identify with those things. But I'm saying don't depend on that but depend on the issue of faith because what God has declared in that which is spoken is yes and amen. 
And that's what we stand upon. We stand upon the promises of God. And in, through the Word of God, we see God. That's why Jesus said to, uh, to, to uh, his disciples, you've been with me so long and you've not seen the Father. He who sees me sees the Father. You see, we, we, we see God. And so when it says each one appears before God in Sion, or the God of God shall be seen, we, we understand it in that context as well because even in the, set, in the midst of this pilgrimage, I can tell you now there are landmark moments in my life as there are in yours where God has met with you so wonderfully, so powerfully that you cannot, you cannot deny it. And, and you can share that with individuals who have had similar experiences and they'll be able to bear witness with you and say, yes, praise the Lord, God bless you. You know, we're all the same spirit. You can share that with someone and they have no idea what you're talking about. No clue whatsoever. Faith always sees. You see, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 27, talking about the... Uh, um, the heroes of faith, listen to what it says, Hebrews 11, verse 27, by faith, speaking of Moses, by faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. You see, there was something that Moses had locked on to. He had seen him who was invisible and he was also endured in the fact of knowing that he would see him ultimately who is invisible. There's a twofold aspect there. But it says, by faith he forsook Egypt. And again, we can't help but not identify the type here because Egypt in Scripture is a picture of the world. He forsook Egypt. He forsook the world. Listen, I'm going to read it. I'm going to go there because I think it's worthwhile just uh, um, uh Identifying what, the fullness of what Moses, when it refers to Moses, because it says, listen to what it says. By faith, uh, this is uh, verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God to be, than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Because when you state that you're a foreigner that's what when Christian and faithful in the Pilgrim's Progress when they were at Vanity Fair and they met Belzebub they said sorry we're on our way to the celestial city and then Belzebub got angry in the same way it says here that when Moses forsook Egypt he feared not the wrath of the king because I tell you what when you make a determination when your heart's set on pilgrimage the devil gets angry he doesn't want you to sit, be set. He wants to distract you. He wants you to hey, hang around, have a party, enjoy, have some fun. And so, but listen, it says here, Moses, it says rather, he chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin in Egypt, the world, Vanity Fair esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. He looked to the reward. Hallelujah. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. You see, you've got to see God. 
and you've got to identify and have a love for God and then like Moses, uh, you, can, you can forsake Egypt, you can reject the things of this world, they'll have no appeal and, no, uh, and not satisfy you. And so we see these examples for us to follow, amen. And, but again, we're talking in the context of each one appears before God in Zion. That's the reward, hallelujah. I just want to conclude and I'm just going to touch upon it. Time, we've got the play and time's getting on. But it says in verse 10, listen to this, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand. A day in your courts is better than a thousand. Just one day in the presence of God is better than a thousand years of anything and everything this world has to offer. Amen? And we've got to not lose sight of that. And listen to what it says, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. See, for the one whose heart and love for God is not first and foremost, they'll look at that and go, oh, how boring. Boring? One day in the courts, in the presence of God will doesn't even compare to a thousand years on this earth. And I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house, that's just, just the, the lowest position, but I'd rather be in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. And that needs to be our disposition. That needs to be our heart. Oh God of hosts, verse 12, blessed is the man who trusts in you. Blessed is the man who trusts in you. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you this morning. Lord, enough has been said. God, your word has been proclaimed. Lord, I trust that you have spoken to hearts, individual lives. Lord, let us understand the truth of these things. Let us identify fully with the heart of the psalmist. Lord, let us identify with the truth of the psalmist. We're set on pilgrimage, O God. And let us not lose sight of these things as we set ourselves to walk upon that narrow path and walk worthy before the Lord. God, I pray, speak to your people, bless your people, refresh your people, Lord. And even though no no doubt we have passed through the valley of Baca, Lord God, you make it a spring. God, you pour out rain and make pools and blessing after blessing after blessing. We thank you, God, that you are faithful, that you will never leave us nor forsake us. Oh God, we've tasted of the goodness of God and we're not turning back, Lord. We want more, oh God. Hallelujah. Blessed be your name. Amen.